0: Good morning again, officially. See, I'm I'm putting on a different hat right now. Matthew chapter 11, verse one, Matthew 11, verse one, if you would. I know chapter 11, many of you are doing the math. How many chapters are there in Matthew? When do we start? When will we end? I'm planning it right when Jesus comes back, we'll be at the end. I don't have that information, by the way. Matthew 11, verse one, I'm going to read verses one through six, planning to get through verse 30 this morning. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, that is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, "Go and tell John what you hear and see." Verse five: the lame, the uh, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walks, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Verse six: and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Lord, we come to you this morning. We ask Lord that you would give us ears to hear as you will say here in a few verses, Lord, you you desire that your people would have spiritual ears that we wouldn't hear with just technical knowledge, Lord, but we'd have a heart knowledge, our our hearts opened by you a willingness to receive of you a, a faith that longs to be, taught and in our minds and our hearts to know the white the width and the breadth and the depth of, of who you are. And so Lord, just do that spiritual work within us that we might not, might see you more fully this morning, that the missing pieces we have of who you are would be another piece would be put into place and that we would be edified and encouraged and built up this morning for the times that you've placed us in. And we pray that all would be done For your glory, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, in verse one there, we saw Jesus instructing his disciples, his 12 disciples, his apostles. um, After basically instructing his 12 apostles, he, he sends them out. He sends them out into the cities that are surrounding the area of Galilee. And he now he sends them out in the cities surrounding the uh, cities of Galilee. But what happens is it appears that he goes on either after them, after they've already prepared the city for them, or he's just going off by himself. But Jesus is basically by himself. No doubt other disciples are following him, but he's going alone. His, his 12 have been sent out. And as he's going, it says that he's, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's performing miracles. The other gospels like Luke will, kind of lay into what's going on there. He's showing people being raised from the dead and demons coming out at this time, all this stuff. So Jesus is just continuing his, uh, his ministry of miracles, which is just astounding. And verse two says, now when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Is anybody confused there? Yeah, me too. What what we didn't know, well, let's just take care of this. What we didn't know until now is that John the Baptist is, is in prison. And the reason that he's in prison, and we'll find this out in chapter 14, is that Herod, Herod, the Tetrarch, one of, so basically when Herod died, uh, the lands got divided into, to his four sons. And one of them was Herod, the Tetrarch, and they're all named Herod in some weird way. So you have to learn all these Herods. If you're studying the Bible, well, Herod, the Tetrarch, he went ahead and married, or he took his brothers, Philip's wife. He kind of stole her and, and, and made him his own. And John the Baptist actually calls them out on this. Well, Herodias Another Herod name. You know, if you're naming yourself like those kinds of things, you've got issues already. <laughs> <laughs> Herodias, which is Herod's new wife, his brother Philip's wife, right? He, she does not like John whatsoever, does not like being called on the carpet for what they're doing. And so Herod goes ahead and throws John in prison. And John's going to eventually lose his life, obviously. So John's in prison at this time. And we read all about that again, chapter 14. And here John is in prison. And when he's in prison, verse two tells us that he's hearing about what Jesus is doing, all these miracles and stuff. Now he's hearing because his disciples are, are connecting with him. They're out going out. John has his own disciples. If you remember, I think even uh, John, the apostle was one of his disciples and some others as well. Uh, But, but they were going out and um and they were reporting back what was going on with Jesus they're all in they're saying hey listen look what's going on with Jesus he's raising the dead he's doing all these amazing works and it seems that John is having some serious trouble with computing what Jesus is doing now we're all tracking with Jesus we're looking at the old Testament going, of course, these are fulfillments of prophecy signs of the Messiah. But John is not tracking with us. It seems John is not tracking with us so much. So that he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he's the one, or they should find another one. Are you the Messiah or are you not? What are you doing? you're healing all these people doing all these things. Yeah, I know that kind of sounds counterintuitive, but what we find out is John doesn't have a full picture of the ministry of the Messiah. He doesn't have a full picture of who Jesus is. Can you imagine that? A prophet of God being used by God in miraculous ways. People are just coming out to the desert and talking to him. I mean, and just, just saying, what must I do to repent? And he's baptizing all these people and he's speaking the way he is. And, and yet he doesn't have a full picture of what's going on, of what God's plan is. Can you imagine that? We have to remember that John was the prophesied forerunner of Jesus. This isn't just, I say just one of the prophets of God, but he was spoken of, you know, 700,000 years earlier uh, by Isaiah, Isaiah, and then 400 years earlier by Malachi, Isaiah 40 uh, verses three through five. And then uh, Malachi three verse one and four verse five. I have my notes if you guys need them. But the one who would come announcing the Messiah, there was to be one who would come and actually come right before Christ announcing that he's coming. It was prophesied about this guy. And and we, and, and, and we saw John doing this. Uh, what was John was doing in Matthew chapter three, where he was calling the nation to repent Like as he came on the scene as this special prophesied prophet who would get the hearts ready of the people. We see this in Matthew chapter three. We've already gone over this. Matthew chapter three, he's calling the nation to repent. He's calling the leaders broods of vipers, you know, Hey, check, you know, and he, and and he's calling out to the nations and saying things like, you know, he's striking at their self-righteousness and and the root of being descendants of Adam and all that type of stuff. And in his message, in a truly old Testament prophet form, much of what you hear from John is total exhortation. It is Turner burn. That's his message. And so what he is doing is he has a very narrow, very specific message that Jesus that God has called him to, to prepare him for, before his son comes on the scene. And it's a, it's an encapsulate. It's like nation get ready, get ready for Jesus, Because you're either going to have life for him from him or you are going to have judgment from him. So he just takes everything and puts it into a very straightforward, narrow slug of truth. And he has that literal hellfire and brimstone message about the axe being laid to the root of the tree. This is the kind of things that you're saying. The ax is already being laid to the root of the tree. and, And, and you, if you don't bear good fruit, you're going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire. This is what he's telling people. This is the message he's preaching out there. And likewise, in verse 11 of Matthew Three, John says to everyone, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there's one coming after me that is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, what does that mean? Uh, in verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing hold and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is John. This is the message he is preaching. So John was a clear and powerful, empowered voice from God to ready the hearts of the nation. And John's emphasis is that Christ was either going to baptize them with life by the spirit or he was going to baptize them in the fire of judgment. And that message is absolutely 100% true absolutely 100% true. We cannot dismiss that walk away from that pretend like, Oh, well that's just John because Jesus as we go on here. He's going to double down on that message. He's going to talk about it. But John's emphasis was that Christ was coming and you better get ready. Cause he either He's going to give you life or he's going to give you fire. One or the other, he had a very direct and serious message. But John didn't have the full picture of the ministry of the Messiah. And we get a glimpse into this when he came, uh, when Jesus came to John to be baptized. Remember this? John is, is sitting there and Jesus comes to him and he says, Hey, you know, it's time for you to baptize me, John. And John says, No, 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 that's not happening. I need to baptize you. And Jesus says, No, no, no. We need to do this. To fulfill all righteousness. John, you don't have the big picture of what's going on. John, you're missing out on some information. Your heart's in the right place. Of course, I am sinless and spotless. Jesus is sinless and spotless, and you are a sinner. John would be a sinner. And yes, it would be fitting for me to baptize you, but that's not the plan of God at this moment. See, John was missing some information. Let it be so now, for it is thus fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, and then John consented, and so John, obviously called by God, obviously being used by God, obviously knew much of God, he was missing something about the Lord. Anybody relate? when he saw Jesus Uh, In John's gospel, in John's account, chapter one, verse 29, he declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is John declaring that behold the lamb of God, John 1:29, right? And then when John baptized Jesus, John sees the dove come down from heaven, descend upon Jesus. And that was a sign. John chapter one, verse 33 tells us that John was given that the one on, uh, on whom you see the Holy spirit coming in the form of dove and, and remaining upon that is the Messiah. And he declares, he testifies it in, in a couple of gospels. This, this is, this is what happened. This is who he is. John already declared, this is the Messiah. And then just to make it a little bit more clearing, he hears a voice from heaven and testifies of that. The father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If anybody should know that it's the Christ, guess who you should be? John the Baptist. And yet, although he had experienced all this, Yet he says in verse three from prison, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And I'm confused like you, but now this kind of helps me out because what's going on here happens to all of us. And, and after all, John knew and, and experienced everything after everything he knew and experienced, he is doubting that Jesus is the Christ. He's not doubting scriptures. He's not doubting that there is a Messiah. He's not doubting that he would come. He's saying, I'm not Computing with what you're doing in my understanding of you. Does anybody have that relationship with God? What you're doing, what I think you're supposed to be doing God and what you're actually doing or allowing or the circumstances I am, they don't compute. Should I look for another? (laughs) Anybody else? Just like John insisting that Jesus baptize him and and Jesus happened to tell him, no, 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 you don't have the full picture here. It's happening again. You see, John didn't have the full understanding of the role of the Messiah. And that's what happening as he's sitting in prison, hearing all these miracles and healings that Jesus is performing. And it isn't computing with what he knows of the ministry of Christ. I have to think that John's picture of Jesus was limited like ours. He was focused on the black and white truth. He was focused on the truth that God had revealed to him in the ministry. He was called to the life and the death, the life and death, the, ju- the repentance, the judgment, the water, the fire, the Messiah would bring. I think that was his call. And he was focused on that, declaring it. And it's true. Amen. It is true. And by the way, it's absolutely true. And that is the bottom line. And by the way, unless you repent and believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, unless you have his life, you don't have life. You remain under condemnation. You remain under the judgment. God wants to give life through his son. That's what Jesus came to do. And so John's message is absolutely true that all men would repent and believe upon his son. That's what God desires to turn from our sin and to believe upon the one who died on our behalf. And so Johnson finds himself in prison and Jesus is not out there dishing out fire. The fire isn't coming down from heaven. People aren't burning and running scared at the moment. What's going on? He's healing people. He's ministering to people. He's saving people. He's doing all of these things that it seem that John is just like, I'm not getting this. What he knows of the ministry of the Messiah and what Jesus is doing, isn't making sense. And Jesus, just like he had to explain, Hey, no, 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 no like you need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus then gently and calmly comes back to John and fills him in on what's going on. And he points him back to scripture and he points him back to the prophets so that John who isn't having a, I think a crisis of faith. you think he's just, Confused about what's going on. He's in difficult circumstances. It's not computing. And Jesus comes to him and he teaches him and he clarifies. And so John says, Are you the one or are we looking for another? Well, I thought there was supposed to be more fire in this scenario. Seems to me that's the context. And and what happens in verse four? And Jesus answered them, that is John's disciples, and he says, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Remember, Jesus is teaching around those cities. What's happening? The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf are hearing, and the dead are raised up and the poor of the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus fills John in on the other aspects of the ministry of Jesus. And this is what we need in our moments of crisis. Like, God, what are you doing? Why are you waiting? Why is there so much stuff going on? Why am I suffering? Anybody else have those things? And we're kind of like in prison we've got a, a, a narrow view of God and what he's supposed to be doing. And, and the Lord has to come to us and go, there's a bigger picture that you don't know about. And I'm going to teach you, are, are your eyes open are, are your, do you have ears to hear and, and listen to what I'm, what I'm doing. And he quotes there from portions of Isaiah, Isaiah 29, 18 and 19 and Isaiah 35, five through 10 that those things also are part of the ministry of the Messiah. You see, like so many of us, we love the Lord, but we find ourselves in circumstances where we are experiencing and what we're hearing and doing. We don't really, it does not compute anybody else. Yeah. And we find ourselves in prisons sometimes. (laughs) health prisons, relationship prisons, circumstance, prisons, political prisons, COVID prisons, isolation. What's going on? God, what are you doing? Why is everybody sick? What's going on with this, you know, and through no fault of our own quite often. And for, for, and for John, he was declaring truth. He was calling Herod to repent. And John was imprisoned and he would lose his earthly life. Things were looking good for him. And for us, perhaps we're laid up with sickness. I can think of several people in the body right now who are hurting and suffering. You know, and, and, and I, I know in talking to them, it's like they know the Lord. They know He is good. But you know what? When you you get in the circumstances, sometimes you just go, God, what are you doing? And it's so amazing. I'll call and I'll talk to someone and then they and I don't even have to say much. And they're preaching to themselves the truth. They know it. They need to be reminded of who Jesus is. And then their, their faith is stirred again. And that's what the Lord does. He reminds us of who he is in the midst of our circumstances. You know, how many of you wonder, Hey, why doesn't God heal me? Or why doesn't he intervene? Or why isn't this going on? Anyone else? Like John, perhaps there's one aspect of God's nature that and his character and promises that we have yet to grasp. And I remember being young. I, you know, I started having a consistent headache that I've had to this day in, in 1998. And some other people around here understand what that's like. i brother Gary and Tim and other people. And it's just debilitating after a while. I tell you what, if you go to my early Bible, I have all the uh, promises of healing underlined in my Bible. It's very charismatic. <laughs> he's going to heal me. 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 Lord, you know, if I just pray the right prayer, if I just do the right thing, heal, 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 heal. Uh, no. You know, then you come to verses that are like, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. No, 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 no. That's not the one. It's the healing part. And then. You get like, hey, you know, I want to work on your character through suffering. Are you going to trust me even though you're hurting? Or what about in prison? You know, what about like uh, Joseph being stuck in those hard circumstances? What was he working on in in Joseph? What was he preparing him for while he was in the pit? If he wasn't in the pit, would he do well in the palace? You know, we just, I lack understanding. Who am I, Lord? Teach me. Teach me not the way I want to be taught the way that you teach. And so Jesus points John back to truth. He points him back to scripture. He points him not to anecdotes. He points him to truth line verse, what God says about who Jesus is. And he sets his heart on the rock. This is what the Messiah came to do as well. Yes, he is going to give eternal life. Yes, he is going to cast people into hell. But in the meantime, he is going to be healing people and doing all these things as a sign that he is who he is. And John just happened to probably not focus on those verses as much, but he did now. This is also a work of Christ. And Jesus says to John, and you're blessed if you're not stumbled by this. You're blessed if you're not stumbled by this. Underline that because we need to know that God will be blessed if we don't take offense at God's lack of intervention or his lack of doing it our way. And if we open up our hearts and have ears to hear what God actually might be up to, I'm learning. This is the, the Lord would have us do in difficult times is to remember not only the promises we know of the Lord and we desire of the Lord, but also other aspects of his nature and his will and his plan and the verses we tend to ignore of overlooked. Anyone else? Look at those verses for a bit. Look at the hard promises as well as the easy promises. Cause when we focus on those, they will ultimately be for our benefit in his glory. Amen? Amen. And so he leaves John with a fuller picture of who he is. And Jesus pivots off this because everybody's listening around him. The whole, all the crowds are listening and John was a giant. Listen, they were having discussions. Is he the Christ? He was a spiritual giant in the land of Israel and to hear that John's kind of, is he, is he wavering what's going on? Jesus is actually going to come in and clarify the ministry of John verse seven. And as they went away, those disciples went back to John. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He goes, what did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the King's houses. He's just saying, was John a pushover? Is he a weed shaking, you know, a weed shaking in the wind? Is he raised in the palace? Was he, was he this guy who was just pampered and just kind of easily, you know, just so used to delicacies? No, man, this guy was a wilderness dude. He was a hardened guy. He was wearing what camels clothing and like some kind of weird belt and eating bugs And honey, right? I mean, he was just, he was hardcore, serious prophet, right? And he came preaching boldly. So what'd you go out to see? You guys remember the message of John the Baptist? And he's repeating all the things that I've already shared with you this morning. Who did you go out to see? Verse nine. What then did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. John just isn't any prophet. Jesus says, what you all saw was a prophet and he was more than a prophet. How so? Verse 10, this is the one of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly. I say to you among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That guy in prison, he was just asking those things. There is no one greater born of, of man than John the Baptist. He is absolutely a prophet, not only a prophet, the one who came to prepare the way for me. Very special, very unique ministry, no pushover. And, and, Listen, this is the prophet that Malachi prophesied about in three chapter three, verse one, who is the announcer of Christ. There was no one greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says. And so Jesus is reaffirming John in front of the people. There's no one greater. And yet he takes that moment and he preaches the kingdom to everybody. Listen, he goes in verse 11b. Look at it. He says, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I mean, can you imagine that? They're just like, wow, John the great yeah, he totally is the greatest. He's just awesome. And he goes, and Jesus flips it and says, As awesome as he is, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. And people have got to go, what? Well, who's in the kingdom of heaven and how do I get in there? John was the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament, but he did not get to see the fulfillment of the new covenant. He did not to see, get to see Jesus fulfill what he prophesied towards behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He got to see him, but he didn't get to enjoy the the fulfillment of the new covenant in the flesh. So to speak, obviously he looked forward in faith and we all enjoy the same salvation in Christ, but, I like what MacArthur puts in the ESV study Bible commentary says all believers after the cross are greater still because they participate in the full understanding and experience of something that John merely foresaw in a shadowy form, the actual atoning work of Christ. I love that. Well, verse 12, he says from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. And this is where I'm going to lose it, you a little bit because it was difficult for me to kind of parse all this. This is a difficult passage to understand because of the verb tenses or the way things are there. It says, firstly, what what, what does Jesus mean when he is talking in this way? He's talking about the kingdom of God and he's saying since John started preaching until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. What is he talking about? Firstly, what does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. If you look at the foot footnotes in your Bible, there's a, there's a clarification in some of your Bibles that says that it means has suffered violence, uh, or it will say something like where it says has suffered violence. It, it will say something like, or has been coming violently. So th- what's happening is in the original, is it, is it the kingdom of heaven that is having violence put upon it? Or is it the kingdom of heaven that's coming violently? That's, that's what they're trying to pull. That makes a whole bit of a difference. Both are true, but it seems to me. So the, I, the idea is that the kingdom of God is the one enacting violence. To suffer violence, to, to put it out, to, to push forward and violence, meaning not uh, with physical weapons, but it is just pushed into the kingdom of darkness. John announced me, I'm here, I'm pushing forward. The kingdom is pushing forward. All the miracles you're seeing, people being raised, the demons being pushed at, all that stuff. The kingdom of heaven is enacting violence upon the kingdom of Satan. I think that's what it's talking about. And and also, it's uh, and and so the most probable interpretation is that Jesus is saying that since John started preaching the kingdom until now, the heavens have been coming in force. That's what's happened. Heaven has been coming into this world by force. And then he says the violent take up by force. Well, who is that? What does that mean? Luke's version of this, if you you want to take notes, Luke 16, 16, it says the same thing, but a little differently. It says the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of God's kingdom has been preached and everyone forces his way into it or is forced uh, or forcefully urged into it. In other words, the when Jesus busted into the kingdom of darkness, light shined into darkness, and men were divided into two camps, things we've already preached about. those who are cockroaches that run away, and those who are moths that come and lose their life in Christ. right? They run, come towards the light and they run away. There is a, a pushing forward of God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. And so I think that's what, what's happening here. I think that's what Jesus is describing. Now it could be that John is suffering violence, but I don't think that's the context. You can take it either way and it would probably be right. But I think this is the best understanding that Jesus is breaking into the darkness and people are faced with the choice to surrender in faith or to be defeated in doubt. And I believe that's the gist of this. And Jesus is reaffirming, reaffirming the message of John repent or face the judgment of God. I think that's the picture. Repent or face the judgment of God. The kingdom of God is coming violently. It's warring against the kingdom of Satan. We see that in Ephesians chapter two, all these other things. So Jesus is saying, John was a strong prophet of God, the, the, the mightiest uh, prophet of God, but to the one who receives the kingdom through faith in Jesus, they are even greater than they that have experienced the fulfillment of what John had not seen. And that kingdom of God was coming forcefully into the world and the people would either receive it in faith or or remain defeated in unbelief. And I think that's what John, the Jesus point is there. I said it several times, different ways, but, and it goes in verse 13 for all the prophets in the law prophesied and tell John. And if you are willing to accept it, if this is, uh, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. It's like, Oh Lord, give me the ears. Cause I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <clears throat> Anybody else? I mean, you know, I have to study this and, and tell you what I think it means. So I want you to take these verses and set them yourself. But, What is happening is Jesus is saying, listen, John preached a message, and that message is still true. It's coming in force. You either are gonna be with me or against me. And he says, Listen, all the prophets they prophesied until John. You know, they are all pointing to me, pointing to this moment. And if you're willing to accept it, John is Elijah, who is to come. Now, what is he talking about? He is Elijah is to is to come. Flip back to Malachi, if you would, the end of Malachi. Jesus says that the, that the old Testament, That the Old Testament prophets and the testimony of the law of the of Moses all point to Christ. They were looking forward to Christ, pointing to Christ. Then John came on the scene. Unlike the other prophets, and Jesus distinguishes John in this way in this verse. And if you're willing to accept it, he's like Elijah. He's still talking about how John is unique. He's saying he's like Elijah, who is to come. If you have ears. If you have spiritual understanding of what I'm trying to tell you, let, let it, let him hear. So Jesus is identifying, identifying John with Elijah, one of the major prophets of the old Testament. Jesus is saying, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. What is Jesus talking about? Again, real quickly, go to Matthew chapter one. If you don't know where Malachi is and then flip left until you hit the old Testament. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's four hundred years between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. A lot happens in that little chunk, but it's biblically silent. This is how God closes the Old Testament. Just just read Malachi chapter four. Just read this with me in your in your to yourself. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stumbled. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be be ashes under the sole of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I've commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Verse five. And here's the connection to Matthew chapter one, uh, Matthew chapter 11 that we're talking about. Behold. Malachi says. On behalf of the Lord, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes before it comes. What is the great and awesome day of the Lord? That's a good question. Verse six. And he will turn. This is what Elijah will do. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Old Testament closes. Next person. he says Elijah is going to come. And he's going to come before the day of the Lord and he's going to turn people's hearts towards God, towards one another and towards God and brotherly love and, and towards God, lest I destroy all y'all. That's, that's how God in period 400 years flip over to Matthew, I mean, flip over to Luke chapter one. Elijah, by the way, is a great old Testament prophet. And guess what's unique about Elijah? Did he die? No, he went up in a chariot of fire. He did not die. And so according to this prophecy, God said, Elijah would return before the great and dreadful day of the Lord right before the Lord would come and his ministry would be verse six, turn, turning to the hearts of the father and their children to the hearts of children, to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of destruction. Luke chapter one, everybody, verse eight through 17. Follow with me. Thank you for letting me take you down this difficult road. Now, while he, that is Zacharias, the father of John, the Baptist, who was, who was a priest. One of the priests there. While he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, all the priests were divided into division, it was his turn. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10 And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard and you and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So we've got a little Christmas verses in here, right? Everybody's thinking the peanuts and all that stuff. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice in his birth. Why? For he will be great before the Lord. And he's going to have a Nazarite vow. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And here's the key verse about John the Baptist, Luke one, verse 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people for the Lord. What did Malachi say? Who did Malachi say would come? Elijah would come. Who is the angel saying that John the Baptist is he's coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And that's why Jesus says, if you can get this, it's not Elijah reincarnate. He's coming in the power and the authority of Elijah, the old Testament prophet. Now there's more to this. You got to, I'm going to just going to track a little bit because we got to get to revelation. Revelation. Here the angel says that John would go in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts and back and make ready for the, the, the people prepare for the Lord. When Jesus is saying that John is him, he's saying, "That's what the Old Testament's talking about. This is how awesome John is. There's no one greater. This is the guy. If you can receive it, he's Elijah. right? Not mean that John's reincarnated but rather he is the one who would prepare the hearts of the Lord for the people. If not, if people don't respond, what happens? The day of the Lord was just around the corner. Lest I bring destruction. And by the way, I believe Malachi four has a twofold understanding. And I think along with a lot of other people, and I say, I think when I say, I think it means you go study, (laughs) right? Matt thinks, you study, <laughs> you be a brand. I think there was a near fulfillment of John the Baptist in that he was Elijah preparing the people for the way of the Lord at the first coming. But at the second coming of Christ, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, I believe there is a Elijah's gonna, the, the Elijah is gonna come back. I think he's one of the two witnesses. And it's unique as you read in. Revelation chapter was it 11 i can't remember exactly but these guys these two witnesses they're unique in what they're doing they're they're calling down fire or their fires coming from their mouth they're destroying people their miracles that they're performing and all these things that are going on are, are extremely similar to the ministry of Elijah and what he did So there's a connection there and they're going to be doing that on the earth for 1,260 days as the day of the Lord unfolds right before the second return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the authority that God gives these two witnesses is very similar to Elijah. There's a lot there, but the point being that John is no joke. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me here? It's really important because John just publicly was questioning whether Jesus was the Christ and Jesus is backtracking and saying he's legitimate. Everything that was said is not lost. He's exactly who the scriptures called him to be. And I am exactly who I am supposed to be. And John boldly called the nation to repent and be ready for Christ. And Jesus reaffirms his ministry in front of the people and his message. Verse 16, but to, and we'll go through this quickly but to what shall I compare this generation? Well, the ones listening to the message, the ones who are hearts are supposed to be turned. What shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace uh, and calling to their playmates. In other words, the children are like Jesus and John. They're calling to the people. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. What Jesus is getting at here is how people responded to John and responded to him. John was like someone who played the flute for them and they didn't dance. And, and who sing a dirge and they didn't mourn. In other words, they would not respond to the call that God was putting upon them. They did not repent. They did not turn. And, and that's what they did. And, and, and instead they criticized and were hard hearted. Verse 18 for John came, neither eating nor drinking. They said he has a demon. The son of man came, neither eating nor drinking. And they say, look at him. He is a glutton and, and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet when wisdom justifies their deeds, in other words, look at what they're doing and what they say and look at what we say and what we're doing, wisdom justifies their deeds. And the, and right on the hills of that, Jesus less people think he's got to water down that John's message was obsolete. What does he say there in verse twenty? Then he began to denounce the cities, where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. John's message was a message of what? Repentance. What's Jesus's message? Repent. Same message. And he denounces all the cities. These would have been the cities around that the disciples went into that Jesus ministering to in Galilee. They played the flute for them, right? They didn't dance. What does he say there? He began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty's works had been done because they did not repent. And Jesus says, you know, and this is what John was confused over. Where's the judgment, right? I'm confused. You know, John says, I, I'm hearing about the miracles do we look for another? And and this is Jesus answer. No, I'm him. The miracles and the signs given to people were to prove that I am him. And by their denying, even those miracles and signs, it just, that's bringing judgment upon them. What was meant to be a mechanism of grace actually turned out to be something that would testify give against them. And what does Jesus say in verse 21? He starts calling out all these cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Read Ezekiel chapter 26 to 28. They were, uh, the cities were, Puffed up because of their wisdom and their trade and ha- their wealthiness and all these types of things. And, and Baal worship became very well known there. And, and, and God just wiped them off the face of the map. He used the Greeks and I think, well, the Babylonians and the Greeks to just totally devastate them. He says, Listen, for these people, if what we had done in these cities was done there, they would have repented. It's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for those cities than it is for you guys around the sea of Galilee and you Capernaum verse 23. You, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you're going to be brought down to Hades to hell for if the mighty works had been done in you that had done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Can you imagine that? I mean, we look at Sodom and, and the name is, synonymous with the acts because they were so well known for their sexual morality. And what, and, and Jesus says, listen, man, if the mighty works that had been done in Capernaum were done in Sodom, they would have repented. They would have turned. What's significant about Capernaum. That's where Jesus's ministry was located. That's where Peter's house was. Are we going to be exalted to heaven? No, you're going to go to hell, Jesus says. Same message as John. Having Jesus in your city does not equate to being a city for Jesus. Having Jesus on the name of your church or in your church does not equate a church that is for Jesus. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to hell. Sounds like John the Baptist, doesn't it? The message is true from Je- from John to Jesus. And let's just read through this last part, verse 25. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Talking about his disciples, the wisdom of the day. Be careful of the wisdom of the day. The Jordan Peterson's who are so, it seems like they got a great heart, but their understanding of God is twisted and wrong. Jesus is literal, real. He's not a psychological projection of something. He is the son of God. You mess with Jesus. You got the whole thing wrong, no matter how sincere you are. And you lead people astray to hell. Hell. People that I admire and, and care about and can see great hearts and things don't. Man, look what, the, look who the. Read First Corinthians one. How many of you were called? Are you all you've, you, you noble? You all well to do? You all well connected? Is that who God calls? If they're listening, but who tends to listen? Those who are not. Welcome those who are not fellowship because now we are why just because of God's beautiful wisdom. That's what Jesus is saying. Lord, thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise, the earthly wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, to those who have little faith. Embrace it. Church embrace that. We don't know very much, but we know Jesus. Yes, father, for such was your gracious will. It was God's will. And you can just read through Ephesians and read through Philippians and just see God's gracious will there. And first Peter, all things have been handed over to you by handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. You aren't going to know God unless Jesus, unless the Father chooses that you know Him. That's one of those difficult, circum- you know, uh, Calvinism. It's just forget it. Read Bible. Calvinism, Arminianism. Just read what it says. Yes, the Father, for such is Your gracious will. All things have been handed over to Me by My Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son, who is no one, no one. And no one knows the father, except the son and, 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 and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. God has a choice to reveal the father to people. And yet there's a giant call out there. What does Jesus say on the heels of that truth? No one is going to know God. Unless I call them. What does God always balance with that? Keep reading. Come to me. <laughs> All of you who are what labor uh, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I'm calling you to I want to reveal God to you. Come to me. And I don't understand how it all works. But if you respond to the call of God, it is God's will that you'd be revealed to you. If you don't, I guess you you don't. And how that works. It's it's our fault when we don't. And it's God's praise when, when we do. So. Come to me, all of you labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is Jesus crying out into the darkness, the kingdom of heaven, pushing violently into the darkness and saying, come to me, come out, take my yoke. No longer be that beast burst, uh, beast of burden of sin and have it yoked on you and you treading out and just this life of endless under the power and the sway of the enemy. Take my yoke. It's light. I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. You just follow along with me. I'll take care of you. And I'm gentle and humble of heart. Make us more like that. Amen. Me, especially humble of heart. I'm lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is what humanity longs for rest for your soul. Go read Psalm 23. The great shepherd desires to bring his sheep rest. And if you are restless, you don't have the yoke of Jesus on you right now. Come to me, Jesus says. And what you find out is he's calling and he's drawing. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love how the Lord in the midst of judgment also gives hope. Amen. And that's the way God works all the way through the prophets. Now. 30 verses. Oh, five minutes early. <laughs> you, seems like a long time. Cause it was a lot, right? Fire hose. Listen, some of you, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and I love you. But I don't know, like me, sometimes we just decide, oh, I got this. We take, we, we unhitch and we put the old dumb stuff and start pushing our own load. Anybody else do that? This Christmas, God's giving you the best gift. Unhitch from that. Hitch back up to Jesus. Let him pull the weight. Lean into him. Let him be your shepherd. He didn't die. He didn't come. He didn't press in. He didn't push in violently to leave you abandoned. He who began the good work, he's going to finish it. Lean into him this Christmas. Enjoy the gift of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. There's a lot there and there's a lot more, but let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for these, powerful verses. Thank you for the gift of clarification and Lord, where John was confused. You brought him to the truth. Lord, where we're confused, bring us to the truth where we're doubting where we don't know what we don't know. Expand our mind. Be gracious to us. God. Thank you so much. Lord, This world has made this season about us and about so much that it's just weird. And I just want to thank you that as believers, God, we have true worship in our hearts as we focus on the gift of your son that busted into our world and shined an amazing light. You are eternal light. You are the greatest gift. You are the one who always sees and always loves us and is always watchfully caring for us. Thank you for tending to our souls, Lord. Draw us near and may we praise your name all the more louder as it gets darker. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.